Hello and welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, back after uh, Chris so uh, politely and kindly took things over uh, for a couple weeks as the Browns started training camp and got some great guests um, to join the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. So um, appreciative of that. And I think you had some great conversations, which is awesome um, with some uh, great, like I said, great guests. Dean Wade coming on the podcast. Pretty cool. Um so thank you for that, Chris. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely get back to talking on a more regular basis now that the season is uh, closer than it's, uh, well, obviously closer than it's been in a while because every day is closer than it's been in a while. Uh, but as the, as the season draws near. And to the person on Twitter, the chucklehead who uh, on Twitter said that I have no idea who Larry Nance Jr. is and he has no idea who I am when Larry and I were interacting on Twitter, um, leap you. So take that. <laughs> there you go. I'm Fair completely enough. kidding. It was great to have Larry on, especially and relive some of the uh, the memories that he had with the Cavs and um, his decision to to leave the the organization. Whether he had any regrets of that, um, his brother Pete playing for the Cavs, such a cool story to see him at summer league supporting Pete in a Northwestern jersey. And having Pete play with the Cavs at Summer League and be with the Cavs coming up in training camp and just the family ties there as well. So it was really, really cool. And then Dean Wade opening up big time about all of the struggles that he dealt with following the Kevin Love buyout and um, the shoulder issue that he was dealing with that still is not 100% to this point, but he believes it will be by the time the regular season rolls around just like having those guys be so open and candid on a podcast was was terrific and i hope um everybody got a chance to listen to that and if you haven't be sure to check those two out yeah definitely go check out chris's conversation with larry nance and with uh dean wade some awesome conversations i mean you know there's always going to be backlash and whatever so it's just <laughs> it's, it's hard to deal with i know i get it um so, yeah, to that guy, bleep you, that guy, whoever that guy is. Um, there is a lot to get into today, um, plenty to get into. Uh, and the yeah. first, I, I think the first thing we should get into just before we kind of dive in is the schedule. Um, Cavalier's schedule was, was released yesterday and the in-season tournament's happening. So what did you make of uh, the schedule release? Um, honestly, it, it you know, they're playing all these teams. I think the NBA schedule release is a little overrated because you know they're going to play every team. But, like, there are some things to take away for sure. Yeah, I, mean, I think there are definite takeaways. And one of the things that stands out to me the most, Hayden, is that, you know, early on in the season, the Cavs are going to be tested. Um, look, they're not playing Milwaukee. They're not playing Boston. They're not playing Denver. They're not playing um, Miami the upper echelon teams, but, you know, they don't have gimmies at the beginning of the season. Um, the only non-playoff team that they're going to be facing in the first 10 games of the year is Indiana. And I think a lot of people believe that Indiana is going to be better than it was last year when it went like 35 and 47 or something along those lines. So um, all the changes that the Cavs are planning to make when it comes to um, playing style offensively and defensively. Obviously, the roster additions that they made with Max Struess, George Niang, Ty Jerome, Damian Jones, um, whatever else they do between now and the beginning of training camp, you know, it's not going to be a situation where they can just work themselves together slowly. Um, 
They've got Oklahoma City. They've got Brooklyn. They've got New York twice. They've got Golden State. They've got Sacramento. So we're going to find out not everything that we need to know about the Cavs. You're not going to find out everything that you need to know about any team in the NBA in October and November. But we're going to find out some things about the Cavs, and you have a better gauge of who they are and what they can be capable of when they're playing against those caliber teams in the early going. And if they get off to that hot start, Hayden, who knows what that could mean for their confidence and who knows what that could mean um, in terms of building positive momentum and feeling like the changes that they made in the offseason um, are actually working for them. Yeah, we, you mentioned there. there's a huge run of uh, away games here. I mean, at the beginning, they're going to yep. the Garden, going to the Garden, going to Indiana. They're home against Golden State. And then they go Oklahoma City, Golden State, Sacramento, Portland. I mean, there's a nice two-week trip there. Yeah. Um, or maybe a week long, not two-week, but um, a pretty significant trip there. That'll be – I mean, that not that kind of what happened last year as well? Wasn't right. there an early season uh, West Coast swing that uh, – that they play pretty well on. Yeah, and those are the things where, you know, you're on the road, you're away from your family, you have nobody but yourselves, right? Those are the things that can help you come together as a team, or those are the things that can harm you as a team, especially if they don't go the way that you want them to go. And if you think back to last year, um, the Cavs got off to a good start on that road trip in November. They beat Detroit, they beat the Lakers, but then they started to show some flaws, right? Late see, late game struggles. Um, how are they going to close out games? Can they protect leads? Can they hang on the road in hostile environments and pressure situations? And shortly after getting back from that road trip, if you remember, there was like a turning point of the season. It was early. It was only mid-November. But the turning point of the season came on the road against Milwaukee when the Cavs got completely pounded by the Bucks. And J.B. Bickerstaff said in his postgame press conference, we became fat cats instead of junkyard dogs. Like we started believing that we were better than um, we actually were. We started living off of the early season success that we had and we stopped doing the things that we needed to do. So who knows when that moment is ever going to happen throughout the course of a season. For some teams, it could be March, right? For some teams, it could be on a long West Coast road trip in November. For other teams, it could be January. For other teams, it could be right after the trade deadline. Um, for the Cavs, it happened November 16th against the Milwaukee Bucks, where JB had to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with all the guys in that locker room because they started to believe in his mind that they were better than they actually were, and they started to believe that they accomplished something that they hadn't accomplished to that point. Um, so that brought them, even though they lost some of those games at the tail end of that West Coast trip, and they got pounded by Milwaukee at the end of a five-game losing streak, that loss specifically in Milwaukee, that moment in the schedule, really brought them together, and they benefited greatly from it. And those are the kinds of tests that I think uh, a relatively young, inexperienced team needs at the beginning of the season. And I think it's a good thing for the Cavs that they have the kind of schedule at the beginning of the year that they do have um, 
because I think it's going to test them in a way that they need to be tested. Yeah, they, you know, like you said, at the beginning of the season, that certainly helps them to kind of get battle tested on the road. But then they have an end of the season kind of grind here. So they oh. have another West Coast swing, Denver, Utah, Phoenix, L.A., L.A., and that starts on March 31st. So it's another kind of week long uh, road trip out there. What are that? What will that do at the end of the season? I mean, I think at that point you're hoping they're already in kind of getting ready for playoff mode, but then you got to play that grind of a of a schedule. I mean, what does that mean for this Cavaliers team? Yeah, I mean, there are already people inside the organization upset about that, yeah. talking about that, and basically rolling their eyes at that. I don't know who the Cavs pissed off in the NBA scheduling office. But like, and I get it. Like, schedule makers have a brutally difficult job. You have to factor in so many different things. Um, you have to find a way to make it as fair as possible for every single team while understanding that it's just not going to be that way. Some teams are going to feel like they got the short end of the stick. But, like, <laughs> March is brutal for the Cavs. Yeah. I mean, the most grueling stretch of the season is at a time when teams are trying to make a postseason push. They're trying to be physically and mentally prepared for the playoffs. And the Cavs are just going to have to, like, try and do everything that they can to hang on to the rope and not let it go. There's going to be no coasting to the finish line here for them. Um, 17 games in March. 17 in the month of March. That's the most in any month. Nine are on the road. Twelve of those 17 are against playoff teams from last year. There are three sets of back-to-backs in March. And that's just March, Hayden. And then if you talk about the final two weeks where you start looking like, okay, you know, we got through that. Maybe they can take it easy on us a little bit. No, no, no. The Cavs get through that. And then they have the West Coast road trip at the very end of the season where they're playing Denver, Phoenix, both L.A. teams. The L.A. nightlife games are both on the weekend. They're on a back-to-back. Those are almost scheduled losses at that point in time. The Phoenix game against souped-up Phoenix, who everybody thinks is going to be a championship contending team this year, is like the fourth game. In three nights. I mean, second night of a back-to-back after traveling in from Salt Lake City. So it's just like, there are a lot of wonky things at the end of the season for the Cavs that I think is going to make it hard for them um, in the standings. And I think it's going to be hard for them um, to finish the season banking some wins. I mean, obviously they got Charlotte in the regular season finale and that certainly helps but like the Cavs could easily finish the season with bad vibes a whole bunch of losses and not having the best feeling going into the postseason whether that matters when it comes to what they do then in the postseason if they get there that remains to be seen but that is just that is a grueling stretch for a team that has playoff aspirations Oh, it certainly is. I mean, it just, it looks bad on paper. It's just, it's brutal. You're right. It's 100%. So, I mean, again, last year they kind of, they they felt good going to the postseason. Things didn't go well. Maybe right. that'll be a really big battle test yeah. to get them in a, you know, in a good space to figure it out. Yeah. 
I mean, we'll see. Again, every team handles it a different kind of way. Um, and it can allow them to come together better, or it could allow them to start, you know, questioning some things going into the postseason if they get that far. So we'll see what happens with the Cavs. But, you know, there are already people inside the organization that have pulled up the schedule and they have already circled that stretch um, at the end of March and the beginning of April. Like, what the hell did we do wrong here? Right. I, yeah, I don't know who they made mad, but somebody. Um, <laughs> because, like you said, it is brutal. Um, yeah. Okay, more to get into for sure. But the schedule is out. Um, some other notable dates. Uh, LeBron comes back home on the 25th of yep. Saturday or 25th of November against the Lakers. Um which is Thanksgiving weekend, which will be interesting. Cavs don't play. Cavs have a kind of a they're they're off from Thursday, Friday. Uh, they're off on Thursday and Friday, so they will yep. have Miami on the twenty second. Then um, the twenty fifth, they'll play the Lakers. Like I said, uh, they will be at home on Halloween night on TNT. I think mm. that's the first primetime game of the season, yep. and that will be against the Knicks. But then the next night they're in New York, so um, things going on there. They'll be against Golden State at home on the fifth of November. Uh, so think uh, about that think about that remember yeah. what Cavs Warriors used to be for the NBA yeah. schedule makers yeah now it's on uh, now it's on November 5th <laughs> it's not only on November 5th that is a Sunday evening at 6 p.m. yep it is it certainly think about is that. Yep. What used to be a marquee game on Christmas Day Martin Luther King Jr. Day it is now 6 p.m. on a Sunday. Who plays at 6 p.m. on a Sunday? It's crazy. Right. And then you got uh, Christmas holiday. They are uh, off on Christmas Eve, Christmas Again. Day, and the day after. Yep. Um, they are off on New Year's Eve. So there's some. There, there's not a ton of like holiday games, which I guess is good for you, Chris, especially um, well, with your family. But you're right about that. I'm very yeah. thankful just from a personal standpoint that I'm home for Christmas. And I'm very thankful that like the way that the back-to-back -back road games in that window are set up, one of them's in Chicago. So it allows me to come back home before having to go to Dallas post-Christmas. Um, but they play on Valentine's Day. They play on Easter. They're on the road for Easter, which is tough again. Yeah. But, you know. That's the reality of the NBA. The NBA schedule often takes you through some of these holidays. New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Easter, Christmas. You can't have all of them off, that's for sure. So right. I'll take Christmas off. That'll be nice. All right, let's talk about this uh, th this in-season tournament um, that yeah. the Cavaliers are going to play in. Uh, the inaugural, inaugural in-season tournament, I think we should give the fans kind of the lowdown on what's happening here, and I will do it for sure. <laughs> or I, you will, I, will let, I will let you do it for sure. <laughs> oh, you're going to let me do it? Hell yeah, I'm not doing it. <laughs> All right. I, I've been trying to explain this to people. And, like, here's the thing that I, I don't fully comprehend yet myself is how do I start when it comes to trying to explain it in a way that people are going to understand? And, and here's what I've come up for, with. For, for, for before you actually get started, that's probably not good. Like, right. like, but it is complicated. If it's, if it's taking you so hard, like somebody who covers the NBA every day, and it's, right. you know, if it's going to be hard for you to explain it, then what about the the average fan? Right. I mean, 
Goodness. Okay, go on. So all 30 teams are involved. I think we start there. They were randomly drawn into six groups of five within their conferences. It was based on last season's win-loss record. It is a soccer-style tournament set. That's the best way that I've tried to explain it to people. And even though it is taking place, it is, like, intertwined with the regular season schedule, it doesn't mean, like, things all of a sudden stop and then this big event happens. This is taking place at the same time that the regular season is taking place. And there are just specialized nights throughout the course of the NBA schedule that are dedicated to quote unquote tournament games. So the Cavs, the group that they've been placed in is Eastern Conference Group A, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Detroit, Indiana, and Cleveland. And then starting on November 3rd, Each team will play four specialized tournament night games. Those take place on Tuesdays and Fridays. So even if Wednesday is a game against the Mavericks, like that's not part of the tournament, just because it happens in proximity of the other tournament night games. There are designated games that are just in relation. They also count for the standings, but they're also in relation to the in-season tournament. And that's group play. Think about it like the World Cup. Group play happens first. So the Cavs will play every every team in their group, Atlanta, Philly, Detroit, Indiana. That's going to happen throughout the course of November. And then depending on what happens in group play, they will go to the knockout rounds, then the semifinals, then the championship, if they get that far. Who knows? The winners of the six groups are going to advance to the single elimination knockout round. There are also two wild cards. So if the Cavs win their group, if they have the best record um, in those tournament games between Atlanta, Philly, Detroit, and Indiana, then they move on to the single elimination knockout round. And if they continue to win from there, then they go to the semifinals, then the championship. If they lose in the knockout round, then they get two other games added to their schedule to complete all 82. That's the best that, way that I can explain it. Yeah, okay. It, it's, it's a little convoluted, to be honest with you. A little bit. Um, I agree. Yeah, it's, yeah. So so it's easy to understand if like you're reading it and everything's right in front of you. But I think it's harder to understand when people are trying to verbalize it to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where did this idea come from? It came from soccer. It came from European soccer. Yeah. But what, like, what is the purpose? Of, like, well, I don't understand why. It's wildly popular when yeah. it comes to European soccer. And it's an opportunity to make more money. Yeah, it's an opportunity also to try and raise some stakes and make things more meaningful when you're in November and December, Um, because I think the, the reality of life in the NBA and what a lot of people think about the regular season in the NBA is that it just doesn't mean anything. Games in November and December don't matter. So this is an opportunity potentially to try and make 
that time frame in the schedule matter a little bit more than the perception. That's fair. Here's the that. other thing, too. And, and look, like, I don't know how the Cavs are going to treat this. I don't know how players are going to treat this. There's obviously um, financial incentive to be successful when it comes to the in-season tournament. Um, you know, there are certain teams that are probably going to scoff at it. If you're Denver, you don't care about this. You're the reigning NBA champion, and you're focused on trying to win another championship. And if you're the Lakers, you have bigger ambitions. And if you're, you know, the Miami Heat, you have bigger ambitions and things like that, right? Um, but for, like, a team like the Cavs, it's not championship or bust. And there are different things that can define success as we go throughout the course of the season. You know what I mean? Like there are little victories along the way for those kinds of teams. And if we're being honest, just looking at the group that they've been placed in, they've got a chance to win the group and they've got a chance um, to get to the knockout round because like Detroit stinks. Indiana didn't make the playoffs last year. Philadelphia has got a whole bunch of stuff that they're trying to figure out, especially when it comes to James Harden. They also have a new coach. They're trying to work through that. And Atlanta, like we've seen Atlanta, they run hot and cold. Um, which Atlanta are you going to get on what night? You don't know. It's very, very hard to predict. And they've been making moves this offseason um, that are that are related to their salary cap situation that may or may not make them better. We'll find out. Um, so if we care, if the collective we cares about um, the in-season tournament, the Cavs got a relatively promising draw. Right, right, which makes sense. I mean, yeah, like you said, the Philadelphia is going to be, that's a whole different issue we could talk about, you know, right. at another time. But um, what I also wanted to mention about the Cavs schedule, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about this, but the same week LeBron returns, the week yeah. of Thanksgiving, Kevin Love also yep. makes his uh, return to the to Rocky Mortgage Fieldhouse with the Miami Heat. So that'll be a very interesting and exciting week, I guess. Um, reunion homecoming, week, apparently. Reunion week, homecoming week, Thanksgiving week. That'll be, uh, I bet, I guarantee you those two games will be pretty much sold out. Um, that'll be a, a big week. So November 22nd. Uh, Kevin Love and the Heat coming to town for the first time um, since Kevin went to Miami, I believe. So that's another thing to look at in terms of this schedule. Um, anything else schedule-wise, in-season tournament-wise, um, that I'm that I'm missing here? No, I don't think when it comes to the schedule or the in-season tournament, I think we just about covered it. Yeah, the Cavaliers have to play regular season games and they have to play in an in-season <laughs> tournament. There you go. There, there's your schedule. There, there's your schedule talk. Yeah, but now um, right. people can't say, well, every team has 82 games. Well, technically, every team does have 82 games, but you just don't know what all 82 games are yet because the final two games are to be decided based on what happens with the in-season tournament. So there, there you go. You go. There Change your foot. There you go. I love it. I love it. All right. Um, I want to dive into something a little more uh, serious, too, in the second half of this podcast. Um Ricky Rubio announced earlier uh, that he is stepping away from the Cavaliers and stepping away from all basketball activity um, with, for, to focus on his mental health. Um, and the Cavaliers wished Ricky well and, and you know, are there for him for sure, to, for support and whatnot. Um, 
Ricky was going to play for Spain in the FIBA World Cup, and that is not happening any longer either. Um, it's to the point now where you know we're 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 talking about Ricky Rubio and what he's going through. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's something that I've dealt with. It's something that Kevin Love dealt with. Um, so, what are your thoughts on Ricky Rubio potentially? Um, potentially, you know, not being with the Cavaliers this season. Yeah, Hayden, I just hope that the break that he believes that he needs right now is going to be helpful for him. Because at the end of last year, I saw a guy who was struggling in a big, big way. Um, He was trying to come back from his second torn ACL on the same knee. Um, It was a different situation that he was coming back to with the Cavs than the one that he had left previously, both in terms of his role in terms of the style of the team, in terms of they didn't need him the same way that the Cavs needed him previously, and they were rolling without him. So it's hard for a guy like that to step in midseason for a team that is having success and wondering, am I an asset for this team or am I a detriment? Do they have room to allow me to work through some of the things that I need to work through so that I can be the best and I can be the best for this team. So I had multiple conversations with Ricky towards the end of the season, just about the mental toll of coming back from an injury once again um, and everything related to that. And the way that he phrased it to me is that it was messing with him mentally and his body just couldn't do the things that his mind thought it should have been able to do. And I think that's always like something that we overlook when it comes to injuries. Just because a guy is back in the lineup and just because he is physically good enough to be able to suit up again and quote unquote return to the team, it doesn't mean that he's effective. And if you can't be as effective as what you're used to as a high caliber athlete, it's going to mess with you. So I hope that this break really, really does help him personally. I hope it gives him the kind of break that obviously he believes that he needs. I hope it gives him some more clarity. I hope it allows him to be recharged and refreshed. Um, And if he can come back to the Cavs, if that's ultimately what he decides that he thinks is the next step um, that's going to be best in his process, then I hope he can be a positive asset um, for the Cavs on the court because it's hard for somebody so prideful, such a professional, to feel like he's not a positive asset. And you could see how that was wearing on him towards the end of the season. Yeah, I I completely feel feel exactly what you're saying, but I I do think that Ricky again um, should feel pride in taking you know a step so publicly and um, for sure. And, you know, putting that out there um, because I think it helps people that he doesn't even realize he's mm-hmm. he's looking at it. He's looking at it in in a, in helping himself, which is the most important. Um, yep. But he's helping other people um, to see that, you know, there are other people, other people in the game, other people outside of the game. There are other people in other sports dealing with injuries. And I think Ricky is an international figure. And, uh, you know, right. he's definitely you know, a, a very, very recognizable figure in Europe and in the United States. And uh, I, I think that the way that he went about this was really, really um, 
well done for him and brave and and um I, I do wish him the best and i get you know where he's coming from with these mental struggles um mm-hmm. you know to because when you're not in a mental state and i've and i've said it about the browns you know you know it comes to mind um anthony schwartz last year you know right. detailed, detailed his mental health issues and you know that that his performance was um ca- causing him mental struggle and i think that you're you have to be good mentally to perform physically i i can't stress that enough i I don't think you know maybe you can maybe you can still perform well because you're just that talented and you've worked just that hard and you can be a professional player but you are never you are never going to play to your full capability and you're never going to play to the you know to the best that you can if you're mentally not right if you're If your mind is elsewhere, if your mind is down, if your mind is, you know, in a in a knot, it's just it's never going to happen. So, um, I think it's so important that players are getting more mental help these days to uh, to be their best because, like I said, you have to. In my opinion, I think your mental comes first and then your physical because if you're in a mentally good spot when you go through a rehab or you go through a, um, you know, go through an injury, I think it'll help you to you know feel better about everything. So I think your mind comes first, and I'm glad that Ricky kind of understands that and actually you know is is trying to help himself in the best way possible Mm -hmm. and from a basketball standpoint Hayden look like Mike Ganzi the general manager of the Cavs had planned this extensive trip to Malaga Spain um, recently where the primary reason for him going to Spain was to support Ricky was to show hey we still love you we still support you even though you've been in Spain for this entire off season and we haven't physically seen you, we, we haven't had you in our practice facility. We haven't had our assistant coaches spread out throughout the country with you because it's a little bit more difficult to do that. Um, we're still thinking about you. We still are invested in you. So Gansey was, was going to Malaga, Spain. He was going to have dinner with Ricky. He was going to show support for Ricky he was going to watch him at um, the Spanish national team practices to see how his recovery was going and how he was doing in that kind of competitive environment. So the the Cavs were um, about to to send Gansey out there, um, and then Ricky decided to step away and, and leave the Spanish national team training camp. And um, Gansey still went to Spain, but it turned more into um, a scouting trip and just like reconnecting with with other agents and other executives and other people in that kind of area. But but it just goes to show that the Cavs were thinking about Ricky and they are still invested in him um, and they're going to offer support for him any way possible. But now it's about as an organization. Finding the balance of showing that support and giving a guy what what you think he needs, but also stepping back away from the situation and letting him be on his own because it's clear that that's something that he wants to. So the Cavs, it's, it's a tricky situation. It's a sensitive situation. The Cavs don't know exactly how to handle it. They don't know if they should be prepared um, for Ricky to be in training camp or be with them at the start of the season. Um, so it's just a, a tough situation all around, both off the court 
and on the court um, because now they got to figure out what they're going to do with their backup point guard spot. Yeah. Um, and I definitely want to delve into that a little bit. Um, but first of all, I mean, like you said, I think the Cavaliers are cognizant that Ricky, like you said, they, they support Ricky, they're there for Ricky, but you're right. They have to kind of balance being there for him, but also kind of letting him um, right. handle this in the way that he feels the best. And he talked about his family and um, being away from the game. So yeah. I think that that certainly they, they will do their best. And I have no doubt about that. Um but before we move on again, I just I, I really want to wish Ricky well and um, in his recovery and, and hope that he is feeling better every day uh, mentally. And, you know, if he gets back to the basketball court, great. But I think the most important thing is that he gets back to being the Ricky that he wants to be and then right. Ricky that he loves. And, um, you know, whether that's on the court, off the court, I mean, he's been on his he's been on a basketball court for pretty much his whole life. I mean, oh, my God, yeah. you, you get you got to think there's you got to think he feels at least a good chunk of himself is out there on that floor. So I would think that part of him wants to get back there for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that's the other thing that that I've thought about a few different times in this whole situation is just the pressure and the stress and the grind of of being a professional um, from the time that he was a teenager. Yeah. And just how much that can wear on a guy and and how he didn't have, like, in one sense, he had these great opportunities that other teenagers just don't usually get, right? And he took advantage of those and he became one of the best basketball players in the entire world. But at the same time, like all the work that he had to put in to get himself to that point took away some things, too. Right. There's always a give and take and being a professional and being in the spotlight and having that hype and that pressure for so, so long um, for more than half his life, obviously, is something that can be difficult to deal with. There's no doubt about that. Right. Right. Um, it, yeah, it's it's probably a culmination of a lot of years of just tough, just grinding. I mean, that's yep. it's you know the highs are high, but the lows are low. And um, right. again, I just I hope that Ricky gets back to feeling uh, the best that Ricky can feel, um, and being Ricky and just Ricky. Um, but you're right, the Cavaliers do have kind of a situation due to this. They were counting on Ricky, like you said, Mike Yanzi was going to support Ricky. They wanted to see Ricky in the FIBA World Cup, and maybe hope that he could kind of regain his confidence in his form and uh, instead he's going to do that in a different way. So the Cavaliers don't know if Ricky's going to be back. They don't know if he's going to be in a situation where he's going to, you know, play well or if he's going to come back and, you know, be productive. So what are their initial thoughts on this backup point guard situation now that Ricky Rubio is no longer um, a solidified option for them? Hayden, I don't think they're desperate to do anything one way or the other. I think they like the fact that they brought in Ty Jerome. He's somebody who's been on their radar for a number of years. He's somebody who has had a relationship with Kobe Altman going back a number of years as well. Um, and they like the fact that he can play the one and the two. Um, is he Ricky Rubio? No. Is he as accomplished as Ricky Rubio? No. Is he as reliable as Ricky Rubio? No, but he's a guy that they like and they believe can handle some of that backup point guard role. Otherwise, they wouldn't have given him the contract that they gave him this offseason to be more of what was supposed to be an insurance policy, but somebody who can step in 
and play NBA minutes um, when required. The other thing is they feel like Karis LeVert can handle some of those ball handling responsibilities. They feel like Donovan Mitchell can play some backup point guard if he has to. They have a two-way contract devoted to Craig Porter Jr., who looked good at Summer League. Summer League, very, very different than the NBA. Uh, college, very, very different than the NBA. But he's a 23-year-old kid who has a lot of college experience, who knows how to run a team, and that's different than turning to, like, 19-year-old Amani Bates. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think there's a little bit of comfort with the fact that Craig Porter Jr. is on the roster and is on a two-way contract, and if he has to play up with the Cavs as opposed to the charge at the beginning of the season, then that's something that the Cavs are okay with. The other thing is they technically have two open roster spots available, but really they look at it as one open roster spot available. They've got to fill it before opening night. Um, But the problem is, Hayden, they're just like... They're not very good options out there um, in free agency, especially at point guard at, at this point in time of the offseason. So I don't think because of the options available to them and because of what the Cavs already have and feel good about with their own roster, I don't think they're looking at this situation and saying to themselves, OK, we don't know what's going to happen with Ricky. We could be without him at the beginning of the season. We need to go out and get his replacement. Like, we need to make sure that our final roster spot goes to either Kendrick Nunn or Ish Smith or George Hill or Hold Neto or Michael Carter-Williams or DJ Augustine, any of the guys that are still available in free agency that play that position. I think they're looking at their situation saying, We want to find as many playable NBA guys. And if that's a point guard, that's a point guard. If that's a wing, that's a wing. If that's a center, that's a center. We just want to make sure that we round out this roster the best possible way. So I don't think they're saying we don't know what's going to happen with Ricky. So that means we need to go out and sign a point guard. I don't think they're looking at it that way. Yeah, I mean, that's that would make sense. I mean, it, it, you know. It, it makes sense to be like, all right, you know, I also don't think, you know, I think probably in the back of their mind, they were wondering if, if Ricky had anything left um, sure. to give them. And that's probably why Ty Jerome seemed to be a good option. But you're right. I mean, Karis LeVert, Ty Jerome, um, there there are other options out there. And um, they, the hope is that Ricky can get back and will get back. But um, they still have time for that. Um, you mentioned the last roster spot. Um, are they go- are, I mean, what's the plan there? Is it to just wait on Ricky? Is it to wait on the season? Is, what is the kind of timeline there? You know, let's look for the best possible player that's available for the kind of money that they can give, which is basically the veterans minimum, especially yeah. at this point in the offseason. Look, if another opportunity presents itself um, between now and the start of training camp, the Cavs are always active. They're always aggressive. They're always opportunistic. They're going to look for those um, those opportunities in the market. Um, but this is like the 13th, 14th guy on the roster. So this is a roster that they feel like is deeper. 
and more talented than it was. They feel good about every spot on the roster, backup center, backup power forward, backup wing. So we're just talking about playable depth. That's it. And if you can capitalize on somebody who thought they were going to get paid that hasn't gotten paid at this point, and you can get that guy on the cheap on a one-year prove-it deal, then you explore that possibility for sure. Um, But I think the most impactful players this upcoming season for the Cavs, the guys that are going to play the most minutes and make the biggest difference on the court are already on this roster. Yeah. I mean, that's obvious, you know, they have a, and JB, like, like we've said, JB doesn't keep a very long leash in terms of the amount of players that are playing. So, right. um, so yeah, theoretically this, Hayden, they could go out and they could get a veteran type leader guy who can fill the Robin Lopez role, right? Yeah. Or Ed Davis from the beginning of two years ago, like just somebody who can help behind the scenes. Or they could look at it and say, hey, Kelly Oubre Jr. hasn't signed yet. He was probably looked at as a mid-level exception type player in the offseason. Would he want to come here? Would he accept a specific role? Would he accept less money? Um, What about Christian Wood? Same situation. Would he be willing? Terrence Davis, Justice Winslow. Do we want to get involved and have deeper conversations about a sign and trade possibility with PJ Washington? Like there are options out there where the Cavs just have to determine, okay, what's the best thing for us? What's the best approach that we can take when it comes to finalizing this roster? Um, but, But it's not something unless they can find a way, and I don't think this is realistic, but unless they can find a way to get P.J. Washington in a sign-and-trade. This isn't a guy that they would sign that is going to crack the nightly rotation and have a big impact on the court for the Cavs. Yeah, yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. Um, And luckily, they don't have to have um, that roster kind of filled out. Like I said, last year, September 1st was the... Uh, Donovan Mitchell trade, right. and they're not going to start camp till September 23rd or so. So things can definitely change, and there's plenty of time for it before the regular season begins. Um, no rush on on that last roster spot for sure. But most importantly, like we said, uh, it is that Ricky Rubio, um, you know, finds his way to health and finds his way to happiness. And, uh, and, and the Cavaliers, if they're lucky enough to get him back, I think we'll do so with open arms. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Kobe Altman said it in his end of season wrap up press conference with us that they were expecting Ricky to be better um, this coming season. Even when they decided to sign him last off season, they knew internally what history said about recovering from an ACL. They knew what the stats said about recovering from an ACL. And they looked at the situation and said, Ricky year two is going to be more impactful than Ricky year one. And as Kobe said, you know, at the end of April, we expect Ricky to bring a little bit more magic back. We expect Ricky to bring his positive attitude back. We expect Ricky to bring his leadership back. Um, We expect Ricky uh, to bring his just veteran know-how back um, in terms of his ability to run an offense and get us in the right sets 
and um, make sure that everything is stabilized for the second unit. Be the glue of that second unit. That's what the Cavs were expecting coming into this year. Um, and now there has to be at least a little bit of doubt in their own mind about whether he can get to that point, especially because, you know, this is a guy, even Ricky said it at the end of the season, this is a guy who needs reps. This is a guy who is still shaking off some rust. This is a guy who is still working his way back physically and stepping away from basketball is off. It's the right move for Ricky because that's what he needs, but it's going to have a domino effect on, on his, um, on-court impact and I think his on-court readiness right it, it certainly will all right well we wish the best for Ricky and uh as for the rest of the and, and for the rest of the Cavaliers for that matter uh the Cavaliers uh like I said um plenty of time till that regular season starts plenty of time till training camp starts so we'll keep an eye on the roster as it moves forward otherwise Chris anything else that we are uh missing on here no, I don't think so. A lot of people are talking about the PJ Washington to the Cavs thing. As I reported, we can do that. Couple... We can do that. We can do that at, a, yeah. at another time for sure. Yeah, I mean, as I reported briefly a a little bit ago, um, I think it was a couple of days ago. Maybe it was last week. The Cavs have not had extensive, detailed conversations um, with the Charlotte Hornets about the possibility of a sign and trade, and there are a lot of indications pointing to him returning to Charlotte on the qualifying offer playing out the year in Charlotte and just hitting unrestricted free agency and trying to cash in next summer. So I just think that's the likelihood of him becoming a member of the Cavs. I would say it's pretty low. I never say never. I never put anything past this front office, but I would say that that's pretty low. All right. Well, there you have it. Pretty low for PJ Washington. Um, and the good, and the best news of this whole podcast is that, uh, we didn't have any issues. We didn't have any Wi-Fi issues. It was perfect. That was awesome. We haven't had that in a long time, which is great. Who knew so. I just needed to go out into my garage, into my SUV, and do the podcast from there to not Maybe. have any Wi-Fi issues. You know what? If that's what works, unfortunately, that's what we're going to have to do. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Check out cleveland.com slash Cavs for all of Chris's work all of his writing all of his reporting also sign up for chris's subtext 3.99 a month 14 day free trial all you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash calves click the blue banner at the top of the page and you will find chris's uh subtext there all kinds of insight analysis news and straight to your phone before anywhere else go check it out a good time to do it always a good time to do it um in the meantime well we will talk to you soon on the wine to wine and gold talk podcast have a great day take care